welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Jen Schiffel. And that's Steve Jones. And Jens, it's official. We made it to 2021. They said it couldn't be done, but here we are. We, we did it, right? You feel a sense of accomplishment? I'm feeling skeptical. I'm feeling like it's not really 2021. I'm feeling like it's the 13th month of 2020. And uh, it's just going to be more crazy drama and unbelievable shit it for at least does... another 30 days. <laughs> for at least the next 11, right? You know, we're, we're, uh, we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, that's for sure. But, you know, I I do feel, you, you know, even though, you know, we know there's still darkness looming in the air right now. I, I do feel a sense of like, you know, okay, there's, there's hope. There is light uh, on the horizon of some sort. I don't know what it is, but, you know, I'm, I'm like, it can't be as bad as last year. I'm just one of those. I'm like in that category of like, look, that shit's behind us. We're going to move forward. We're going to just be positive. It's not all going to be amazing and life isn't going to be back to normal, but guess what? You know, we'll make the best of it. Right. Yeah. You know, I love your enthusiasm and optimism. Um, you might want to check your calendar because I'm pretty sure we've still got aliens coming up and uh we've got you know the meteor that's headed right towards us that's you know going to be a big deal um murder none of this hornets of, or whatever are going to make a big return none of this phases me it all sounds like you know great new movies on netflix so <laughs> right. be, be, be level be level bad movies or you know right exactly Uh, and uh, we had a really good chat, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, the that you know yesterday, uh, story. Yes, yes, you did. Uh, we actually delayed day because of unexpected drama, and um, turns out that that might be a good thing uh, because it allowed you to experience something that you're going to share with us. And uh, I'm a little uh, afraid of what this uh, story might entail. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to listen, but um, you know, it's like my, my fingers are clenched to the table. Like, oh my God. Sure. Um, so I went out hunting yesterday. Right. Um, okay. Wait a minute. What, what time did you leave? You, you like, Oh my God. You, I left at 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> okay, okay. So it's not like you, 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 you left at night and then spent the night there, right? You actually got up super early and then... I mean, I got up, like, I woke up at, uh, like, after 12 o'clock. Um, there were some things that were keeping me awake, I'll just say. Uh, and uh, and I, I was barely, you know, I was, you know, I didn't really fall back asleep, you know, really. Um, so I was mostly awake since then um 12 a.m hour and but then i left at 2 30 and um and got out to grizzly island you know less than so an basically hour later you got hardly any sleep yeah that's how that works that's how this hobby works so this is the last month of duck hunting season so uh sleep will be returning in whatever little capacity it uh, i get it in you know that the crazy so you'll take it when it comes Sleeping till five thirty or six is going to be amazing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sleeping till five thirty or six. Yeah. Oh my god! For me, I think I think uh, 
you know, I think your 5.30 or 6 sleeping in is more like my 10.30, 11 sleeping in. Yeah, so, yeah, something like that. Uh, I, normal people can sleep later. I'm not that per normal person. So uh, it, it's just never been built into me. Um, and, but so got out to the line. Um, there's, so there's two lines out of Grizzly Island where uh, when you go out hunting, one is the uh, reservations line. Uh, and then there's a, um, a sweat line where if you don't have a, you know, a reservation, you, uh, you go in that line, right? And I had a reservation, so I'm in the reservation line. Um, got, you know, got there about 3.30. My, my bud met up with my buddy at 3.30 and we went in. He, he drove in right behind me. Um, and so we're there, we're, you know, we talked a little bit, you know, but then I was sitting in my car. I think I got out and uh, was talking to him or putting on my waiters or something like that around 4.30 in the morning. And we hear someone yelling uh, na a name. I think it was, I want to say Willie, uh, something like that. Um, and uh, and it, it's, it was just loud and it sounded like, okay, they were just getting a little, a little silly uh, because, uh -huh. you know, waiting for the, the you know, line to open and uh, reservations to start being taken. Uh, my friend told me that was, you know, happened to be the name of the, you know, one of the check, the guys at the check station also. Uh, mm -hmm. So he thought it was, they were just calling out to him just to be being silly, right? Uh, right. But, you know, it's loud. But so what we find out a little bit later uh, was pretty, pretty sad. Um Someone a couple cars ahead of me uh, had a heart attack. Oh shit! Yeah, um, and and we're deep, you know, at Grizzly Island, and I mean it's 15 minutes just to the main road, let alone wow. however however far a hospital is, you know. Mm -hmm. And so so it was at least 20 minutes before paramedics were able to arrive. Um, and wow. That seems like yeah. a pretty good response time because you guys are pretty isolated over there already, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they, we we saw him, you know, trying to give the guy CPR and everything. Uh -huh. um, uh, he didn't end up making. Holy um, shit! That's yeah. freaky. Yeah. So, Why not? I mean, holy shit! I mean, having a heart attack is already a terrifying experience, but then, you know, knowing that you're kind of in the middle of nowhere and it's going to take a while, um, you know, for the paramedics to come and God forbid you don't have cell signal to call 911, you know, that's not necessarily something you can assume. Yeah. The signal out there isn't great. Uh, I mean, most mm -hmm. people can, I mean, you can probably get a call off or what have you, but, um, it's, it's body. And, um, so they, the paramedics eventually come and, you know, just talking to my friend and we're talking to a couple of other hunters that's, you know, outside mm -hmm. in our cars and everything. And, mm -hmm. you know, I just, we, we both would have assumed it would have, we didn't know, you know, really what exactly was going on, but we would have assumed mm -hmm. it would have been like kind of a quicker transition because it was just mm -hmm. a really long drawn out process where, okay, mm -hmm. they weren't, they weren't lifting him into the, um, the ambulance or anything like that. They're still trying mm -hmm. to give him, you know, I saw 45 minutes into the situation, at least they were still trying to give him CPR, it seemed, I guess. I mm -hmm. figured, I, the way I figured it, it was like, okay, either it works or it doesn't sort of mm -hmm. thing. Not that it's, you know, you could keep trying. I, I don't know, but right. yeah. But I mean, more 
authority cars, you know, uh, ended up coming and, um, you know, and then uh, they, I think, covered him with a yellow tarp. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, poor guy. Yeah. Yeah. And Crazy. So, um, so there was, you know, it was like an hour delayed to let people in to, you know, mm-hmm. res- reservations and everything. And they had us turn around and go around like the maintenance road because of their yeah. cars blocked off, blocked off. But yeah, right. we did, we did eventually get in and start hunting. That was, I mean, that's the closest I've been to death. Um, yeah. I mean, f- physically, I think. And, mm-hmm. you know, inside of like my grandfather's funeral when I was a kid. I mean, luckily, mm-hmm. like this point in my life, I haven't been, clo- you know, that close. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. That kind of reminds me of um, an event. I was in Alaska and um, I took a, I don't remember what city it was, uh, but it was a coastal city. Um, We took a gondola all the way up to the top of this hill where you could, you know, do some hiking and walking and there was a restaurant there and stuff. And, and, somebody had just had a heart attack and and then passed away up there like mm. you know within 20 minutes i think um before we got there and uh, and uh there were like two two friends that were on vacation um just wanted to go to alaska do some hiking and right before the hike started yeah same kind of thing the guy had a heart attack died holy shit you know but i guess in that perspective if you're gonna die if you're gonna have a heart attack and die why not have it doing something you love like he didn't even get to do it (laughs) oh i know he didn't too bad he didn't have the heart attack after the hunt right i mean i hate to laugh about it but i mean you you kind of you kind of think i mean would you rather have a heart attack at work um yeah. you know yeah. where you're having a miserable time working on whatever with a bunch of people you hate or you know it's gonna be someplace beautiful and relaxing and it's like oh god you know i'm so glad i died in my favorite hunting spot yeah that's a good way to look at it so uh, <laughs> you know and I'm trying to spin it in a positive way <laughs> yeah and so i did get did get out hunting with uh three friends and i you know at first i was like okay you know uh, I, you know i i had the reservation i brought on a, you know my friend john he invited a friend and then he ended up inviting another friend. So we had four people, which is a lot uh, for reservation. I mean, you know, it's a lot to be hunting it all in one spot at the same time, um, generally, and especially on a Sunday at Grizzly Island, like it's, uh, it's just a lot. And I'm like, really, this, is, this isn't going to be a good hunt, right? I like, guess it's just mm-hmm. too, too much. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we ended up going out to a spot that was pretty deep, um, you know, like it was, probably almost mile walk out i mean i biked out uh to mm-hmm. to find this the spot for us and um i got us a good spot you know it was an incredible hunt um it was really wow. really great definitely my best of the year because i brought home <laughs> three three birds nice um, good for you all right that's exciting I know, I know, better, better than all the other hunts combined, <laughs> really, at this point, <laughs> which is sad, but yeah, yeah know, but, it, but it so, takes being close to a death experience to, you know. that's what, yeah, that's what gets it in, you know, out of ways, <laughs> you know, so, um, wow, man, 
Yeah, so there were, there were birds just coming into our pond all, all day. And actually the four people worked to our advantage because we were all able to call at the same time. And they the birds liked where we were and the mm -hmm. decoy layout and, you know, and our calling, they would come in and working and we were able to finish them off pretty easily. Um, lost a couple birds and, you know, and the, the tulies and what have you, which sucks, mm. but, um, mm. you know, John brought his hunting dog and was able to help find, you know, um, find a bird for, you know, a couple of birds for us too. And it was, uh, it was great. It was just really, really, you know, positive. We walked out between the four guys, we walked out with 12 birds, um, mm. which ain't too bad for a Sunday. I'll tell you. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to, you know, maybe you should start getting into archery or something where you can attach like a GPS tracker or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, to the yeah. arrow or to the bolt. Just that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I appreciate your suggestions, Jens, and I should be writing these down, shouldn't I? <laughs> well, at first I thought, well, just attach like one of these tile things to the mm -hmm. bullet. But you, you're using shot though, right? It's it's shot shell, yes. It's lots of it's shot tiny shells, babies. Yeah. So, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you get a <laughs> GPS chip into each tiny little BB, and if you did, uh, well, it yeah. wouldn't help much. <laughs> no, nor would I want to eat that if uh, if it did get in the uh, the bird and I didn't find it. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Not a good idea. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. wow what a story, dude. What yeah, a well, story. That's the story. So, you know what? I think uh, yeah. on that note, we should bring in our, our guest. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. Again, this is Tony Glossy uh, from uh, New York. Uh, he's a trumpet player. We had a really good conversation. And he has um, a new album called When It All Comes Crashing Down that is out now. Uh, here's the interview with Tony Glossy. All right. Welcome, Tony. Tony, how's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? Do you, you hear me OK? See me? Yep. Can hear you just fine. How are you doing? You having a good, good week so far? It's okay. I just got back to New York actually yesterday, last night. So, yeah. How are things in New York right now? Well, um, I'm finding out as I'm reaching out to certain people and venues just to see what we can kind of put together over the next few months that everything is actually closed, closed, closed. And the only stuff that's possible um, is outdoor concerts, I guess, or not even concerts. It would be like an outdoor gig kind of like if a restaurant has an outdoor heater you could play there um, otherwise you know we can always be recording I've been working on a lot of production over the last year but uh that's how it's going yeah. here so not great. yes or so are you able to play any shows have you been able to play any even you know small shows or you know over the past year since this happened um yeah I got I was on the road in March when things like fully shut down so I came home uh and I didn't do anything until June and then in June I was doing a lot of um, marches a lot of protests here in the city and so that's playing it's not a show but it's some playing and just from seeing people again through that that led to some outdoor gigs um, maybe I played a dozen over the summer uh, I didn't play any ticketed concert let me think about it I didn't think I think I played one ticketed show but I was making money playing and it was fun to just be outside and, and hang with people uh, but then when I was in Mexico working on a record, I did play two shows that were ticketed. They were like legit, um, even though they were somewhat limited capacity. It was very fun. So yeah. that's it. I played two since the pandemic, like two real ticketed concerts. 
And how were those shows? How did, how was the turnout? Like, what did it? What was the vibe like to be able to play those shows? Well, it was a beautiful thing to be back in it <laughs> for a moment, but there was this melancholy feeling. I don't know if it was just in my head. I think I came in with just ready to play, um, but it felt different. It was like people, you know, nobody's getting super close to each other. There's just an energy. There's just people have some, you know, it's uh, some people are I think pretty uh, pretty broken. And I think, thank God, we we do have music to to heal. I mean, I really believe in the healing power of music, and I think that some of the people that were there, it might have been the highlight of their month. You know, it might have really helped them get through something. You never know. Uh, but there was definitely a melancholy feeling, and a, a feeling of maybe nostalgia. You know, nothing was exactly the way it would be um, pre-pandemic, just because we're being safe and all that. But for me, it was very very rejuvenating <laughs> yeah yeah and i hope to do more of that and like i said i've been trying since just since getting back um, not even 24 hours ago i've been trying to just i'm emailing and texting people all right let's let's do it let's get back to it and people are like yeah man i don't know what you're talking about it's it's not really happening right now so... i know it's like everybody's like okay it's time right it's time but it's not time yeah you know and who knows when it will be which is sad you know um, you you mentioned the marches that, that you did. Um, I saw a clip of one with John Batiste that mm -hmm. um, that you did. Can you tell me about kind of that experience? That was the first one that I played, and that was June fifth, I believe. And after that, we just kept going. It was, you know, one or the other person setting it up, and it was just like, all right, we're meeting here, twelve p.m. Bring your horn, let's go. And it was, of course uh almost exclusively uh just in support of, of of black people black lives matter um there were some later in the year that were a little more about voting maybe and policy change in in that regard uh, a little more political in that sense um, but i did at least 20 of those marches and like i said they would be whatever time whatever day you know people are out of work right now so all sorts of people were just meeting in storms and masked up, but just risking really their lives to get the message across. And it, and it, whew, I, I, I know that it did something, not just something, I mean, it did a lot of things. So that yeah. kept us alive musically too, you know? It was, uh, like I said, really fun to deceive people that you <laughs> hadn't seen for four or five months and be able to be outside and just making music. We play all kinds of tunes. Sometimes we play, you know, spirituals and, gospel tunes or American folk songs, or then we play bebop. And I you know it's just like whatever people knew, we just marched down the street. Sometimes the band was really, really happening. Sometimes the band was like people I'd never met, like not one person I knew. It was that kind of thing too. And you just go and play. It's, it's, a, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. So what did it mean to you to be a part of that, you know, that movement? That's something that's so, so pivotal in our, our history right now. Um, well, what did it mean to me to be a part of it? I mean, I wasn't really thinking about myself. I was just thinking about my black friends right next to me that I was playing with, thinking, yeah, this is this is for you in the, in the future. This is for, I don't know. I didn't really think about myself in it. I just, I had the time and I had my horn and I had the, the heart to do it. And it was just about, you know, making an impact, connecting with people and making a statement. So I, I don't know, like, you know, I mean, what I did get out of it 
uh, selfishly, if you will, was like I said, the, the fun of playing again uh, out in the streets. But yeah, I mean, that wasn't what it was about. It was about no. the movement. And yeah, I think on a, on a historic level, this will be talked about for years. I really do think so. Not, not that I will be talked about. I mean, I was just no. with many people participating, but uh, it, it'll, it's a movement. And it's a movement that, of course, has been going on since, well, the 60s, if you want to look at it like that, or, you know, since the mid-1800s, if you want to look at it like that, or, you know, however you want to s s look at it. it. This is not a, a new thing, right? Defeating racism, you know, standing up for our, you know, friends of, of, <laughs> of all other races than white. I mean, that is not a new uh, battle, but... It had a new color this year, that's for sure. And I think the pandemic really was what gave it that color. I mean, people were so frustrated, right? Yeah. So desperate for change on a personal level, on a you know, community level, on a national level, and on a racial level, on a cultural level. It's like, come on. I mean, when this stuff happens with George Floyd or... I mean, the list is, is too long. It is... It embarrassingly long uh, of people just in, in one year, let alone a decade or again, wherever you want to start the counting. I mean, this is too long and, and this has gone on for, for too long. So yeah, for me as an individual to be a part of it, it just, it's like a, it's, the work needs to be done. So I'm, I'm happy to, to be a part of it as, as much as I can. And like I said, it's not about me. So I'm not looking to get anything out of it. It's fun to play music. That's a beautiful thing. But, you know, the other ways that we can help. I mean, I, I was donating um, as well as I'm trying to think. I went to other marches where I didn't play uh, other protests. And, of course, I was posting on social media. And I've had people that I've seen since then who said, man, I saw your involvement in the Black Lives Matter marches. That was really impactful. You know, thank you for that. White people, black people, you, you name it. And that doesn't mean... I mean, that, that's nice to hear, but not because it strokes my ego, but because it means that they're listening, they're watching, that they do see it, and it is reaching them. So that, that's nice. It's nice to know that what you're doing is, is reaching people. Yeah. Yeah, it's important to, you know, I mean, to really stand up when it's time to stand up and kind of support yeah. those that need it, right? I mean, now more than ever, I mean, we're seeing, like, how divided we are, how, but how much we need to kind of come together um, you know, to, to uh, for the greater good. Like, I mean, we're not going to beat this thing al uh, alone. We're not going to beat any of this alone, right? And so, yeah. it's tough. Yeah. So let's go back to the beginning, shall we? <laughs> sure. uh, so you have uh, you grew up in a musical family. Tell me about your family dynamic growing up. What you listened to? Did your family members play instruments too? Mm -hmm. I grew up the second of six kids. So it's a family of eight. Now people have wives and husbands and boyfriends and girlfriends sometimes things like that so sometimes it's a lot more but uh everybody played my dad played piano and sang my mom was a fantastic pianist and she would teach piano as well so she taught us all to play um a lot of it was by ear too like i i sat down at the piano when i was really little i didn't have books or methods or anything and where i really started to learn music was picking out melodies that i knew by ear that was my first real experience with music other than of course my parents always had great records playing Stevie Wonder, Earth, Wind and Fire, we had Glenn Miller, 
I mean, I don't know. They had such great taste. You know, Queen, Led Zeppelin, all those great bands from the 70s, um, as well as like more old school uh, records as well. And we were listening on CDs and tapes. And, you know, we, you know, we had those old cars where you could only have like five CDs loaded into the car. And so we just yeah. burn out these albums. You know, we just we had this album of uh, Irish jig music. We listened to uh, bands like Enya, you know, from the 90s. I mean, whatever. I, I think it was all it was all good. It was all great melody. And, and, and I think we got a, a sense of rhythm instilled in us. I remember there's like a family video of me dancing on the little footrest to, to Stevie Wonder's um, I Wish. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just singing and dancing. We, you know, we were a church going family um, for some years. And so I had the chance to sing and play even organ there. I was playing organ too. Um, but just a lot of music at home and great taste in, in records. And my parents knew they also have good taste in other art. I mean, they're, they're, they like to learn and speak languages and they're, they're super individual art and books. I mean, my dad reads a book a day and that kind of person. Wow. Yeah. Just a good family full of, full of great art. Um, and yeah. eventually I started playing the trumpet. So when I was 10 years old, I was like, all right, I want to play the horn. It just was attractive to me, just visually. I liked the sound of it. And no, nobody super close to me played. I had a cousin that played and I had a grandfather that played um, sort of for fun. Um, all of my grandparents at one point were professional musicians. Uh, none of them made that their full-time, lifetime uh, career, if you will. But I had a grandpa put himself through college playing drums uh, in Portland, Oregon. And then I had a grandpa, the one that played trumpet, uh, playing in big bands all throughout the Bay Area, California. I had another, I saw and then my, grand, my grandmother's, one of them played, they both played the organ and the piano. And one of them played in uh, violin and symphony, so. Yeah, and so you, so you started with the piano when you're, I mean, around age four, and then you kind of tr transitioned to the trumpet around age 10, and then did you kind of leave the piano behind at that point and just go all in on the trumpet? No, funny enough, I never left the piano behind. I actually got more into it when I was 13. I started taking um, uh, serious lessons for the first time when I was 13. I did three years of piano, uh, what do they call it? They call it Certificate of Merit. I was living mm -hmm. in California at the time where you got to learn a piece from the Baroque period, the classical period, romantic period, impressionistic period, a modern piece. Uh, and then you have to do theory. Very cool. So I always get my piano chops together after having started the trumpet. And I was mostly in classical music, even though my listening was by and large, I mean, it was like almost exclusively black music. It was jazz and R&B and even the stuff I was listening to on the radio was, was, was still black music. Um, but I played classical music and I love classical music. And it was when I was 16 that I started to actually get into improvisation. And then my senior year of high school, I started taking improv lessons and I joined two or three extracurricular uh, bands in Portland, Portland, Oregon, where I grew up. And that's what sent me you know, down the rabbit hole, I was like, oh, wait, I get it. This is, this is where, this is where I find my voice, you know, even yeah. at 16 or 17, I really found a sense of self in that music.
Yeah. And so did you, um, did you join other, other bands during that time, like high school bands or, I mean, did you find like the the band class? Like what was it that kind of you gravitated to to kind of scratch that itch? Well, I had a friend that was like, listen to this record, listen to this record. And somebody was like, man, you know, what do you listen to as far as trumpet players go? And I'd be like, oh, you know, Sergei Nakaryakov. Like I was listening to all these classical cats. And I said, well, why don't you ever listen to Chet Baker or Lee Morgan, Freddie Hubbard? I was like, okay. So then I, and I got into it. And I, those are who I got into first, those three cats. And I still think they're some of the baddest trumpet players of all time, you know. It took me a little bit to get into other people that then became uh, more favorites of mine, like Clifford Brown. Or Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong is my favorite, but I, I didn't really get into that until I was maybe 20. And then uh, once I, you know, bit the hook, it's like uh, I was stuck. Other people that would make my list of um, influential trumpet players would be, I mean, Wynton Marsalis, huge, Booker Little. I like Fats Navarro a lot, Dizzy, um, Tom Harrell. This, this guy, a friend of mine in, in Seattle named Jay Thomas. These are just people that were super influential on my sound or my feel or the development of the language. Um, Nick Payton. A lot of people, I can make a long list, but uh, yeah, I really started with Chet and Lee and Freddie, you know, a lot of that 50s, 60s, those Blue Note records and just stuff that was, I would say easier to understand for somebody that's getting into the music. There's something that's, that's, I think, hard for a lot of people to understand about early jazz. And then I think it's a little more obvious why we might find it hard to relate to modern jazz, but I, I find a lot of people get into it in, in the 50s and 60s. And so I think that's great. You got to start wherever you start. I had a professor in college that always said, man, listen to whatever you want to listen to, transcribe whatever you want to transcribe. Like the most important thing is just keeping your heart and head in the game. Although I don't yeah. like to call it a game, it's not a game. It's art, you know. It's sure. It's a, but it's a pursuit of passion, and uh, nobody got anywhere not enjoying it. That's not yeah. how it works. So, at what point did you start writing your own music? Kind of going from playing, uh, you know, other people's songs to kind of doing your your own thing. Well, I did that at a young age. Actually, I was always writing little jingles, little crummy little piano pieces, like little etudes and, and funny little kind of classical sounding pieces when I was seven or eight even. Um, and I say they were crummy, they're actually probably pretty decent um, for somebody that didn't really know a whole bunch. I didn't really get into theory until I started playing the trumpet and then later studied the piano a little bit more seriously. And I was doing all these theory books and tests and all that. And that's what made the composition better. I mean, music is, you can write great music not knowing anything about music. There's no doubt, but it helped me to learn more about chords and scales and progressions and really study the vocabulary of other composers or, or idioms like jazz and see, well, what is bebop? All right, well, okay, now if I write a bebop melody, oh, okay, here we go, right? If I tried to write a bebop melody when I was 16, it wouldn't sound good. It just takes years listening and studying and transcribing. So it's the same thing with composition. I was doing it when I was little, but it got better the more music I played. You gotta learn other people's music to understand what, what your music is about, especially when you go back later. So when I got through all of my studies, I, in the process of going through, I did an undergrad for three years and then a master's degree for two years. And, and in the process of that, I, I went back to the music that I'd grown up on. I started listening to Stevie again. And then I, and I was just stuck in that. And then since then, so it's been, I think, about four years since I've been out of college, 
my sound and trajectory has, as far as composing and band leading goes, has really gone way more into the, in the songwriting realm. And that's where it's gonna live just based on what I have ready to release um, the album when it all comes crashing down, of course, um, comes out tomorrow, you know, today's Thursday, yeah. tomorrow's Friday, January 8th. And then I have another record that should be coming out this year. Um, that's even more uh, like a songwriter album, uh, like other producers that I admire will sometimes put out these records where they have other featured artists on it. And it's kind of like just a big mixtape full of, of records they've written. And, and that's what this second album would be like. But that songwriting thing, I think came about in my voice after getting out of the conservatory style of thinking and composing and, and really having, what's cool about being in school is that you always have a lot of musicians around you that'll play anything, great players that'll play anything you write. So you can really push, uh, of course that's not to say that here in New York, there's not great players that can play anything that I write. It's just a different thing. It's like, I'm more interested in, in, in uh, you know, having a band and, uh, you know, putting those shows together and it's less about the uh like oh let's just see what i can do right and so i feel like a lot of my first uh compositions and and records were pushing those types of boundaries if you will yeah and uh yeah like i said i'm just in a, in a phase where songwriting is is super interesting to me again it was interesting to me when i was in high school i was just playing piano and singing tunes for girls or whatever and you know that's what it well, that's what it was all about for me. Like music was just the way to make the girls laugh and smile or whatever. <laughs> so it's like I was playing Stevie tunes or my own little tunes. I used to write these tunes and lyrics and all that. Anyway, like I said, I, I left that when I started studying composition. And I think I needed to go through that, though. It was nice to learn all those things and really, I don't want to say perfect, but just get way deeper into um, composition and understand it on a deeper level. And then be able to come out of that and write things that maybe aren't as harmonically deep as I would have written in my master's um, studies of composition, but it's, it's more me. You feel me? You kind of got yeah. that to come out the other side and understand what your voice really is. So it all circles back. I've found for myself and I see it in other people, but they always find a way to go back to what really got them into the game. Yeah. So let's talk about when it all comes crashing down a bit. Right. Um, yeah. And a couple songs that I want to talk about that are that are on the album. I got a chance to listen to it. Um, yeah. Really dig it. Um, Finding my way out of the maze. Uh, so I want to start with that one. Tell me about how that song came about. I mean, I, I when I'm listening to that, uh, you know, I actually listened to it with my girlfriend last night, and I'm like, this is kind of how my brain works, like at a million miles a minute, sort of thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know. So tell me about that song and uh, and how I guess how it came about. Well. I, that's funny, I haven't been asked this yet. I don't remember exactly how it came about, but I know that I wrote the lyric, if you will, the spoken word. Mm -hmm. I wrote that first, and then I wrote this. <laughs> Sounds like it starts like a, like a, I mean, what would you say? It has a fanfare, right? So, and it goes into this thing that sounds like some sort of, <laughs> I don't know, like a church orchestra it, it just it's like here we go and then there's that little hymn moment in there with the piano before it breaks out into the fast swing which is where the spoken word comes in it's it's meant to just take you from like the church or the, the countryside like kneeling and praying like whatever you want to visualize it at it's supposed to take you from that world into a really chaotic 
you know, state of mind. I kind of want people to feel like, like you said, I want them to feel like, well, this is how my brain is working at a million miles a minute. Um, and I remember writing the lyric under the influence of something. I'll tell you that. I think I might've been just super drunk on the train late at night coming home from something and maybe thinking really uh, aggressive thoughts about religion, which I had grown up with. And I just started writing, you know, let's see, it's all based on a 2000 year old myth, blah, blah, blah. Now that's just my religious upbringing, you know, it's, was Christian centered, right? There are other people that grow up with other religions that of course have different myths that they're, you know, still engaging in. Um, but it's just a quick spoken word that just goes and it lays it down. And in fact, I could send it to you if you want to look at it later, but it just lays sure. it out for you. It's like, you know, this is the myth and I'm so glad I made it out of the maze. And that's what the line ends with, right? And when I recorded that, this was in LA in October of uh, 2019. I remember I was like, I was kind of struggling at 9.30 a.m. to get into the zone and have to deliver that. Cause I, we had three or four takes of that fast swing section on the back half of the tune. And I was trying to find a take that I could get all the words in perfectly. And so I finally chose the one and it was the shortest take of all of them. So it means I had to say the words so fast. And so I drank a bunch of coffee and then smoked two cigarettes and then went up to the mic and I was just, and that's exactly how it came out. Um, so it's wild, you know, it's a trip. It's, it's sort of like a, a character piece. Um, you know, I don't imagine anybody to make it like their wedding song or, or <laughs> you know, fall asleep listening to it. It's not, I'm not trying to make a hit with that, <laughs> but it felt like it needed to be said. Yeah, those are, things that years later I still stand by in the way the way I wrote it even every every bit of the phrasing is just as relevant um you know I, I don't feel really that aggressively at all towards religion or religious thinking um I don't agree with it but it's I believe that you often need to be um, rather loud with your message or with your rhetoric for it to really cut through. So that's what that's about. Yeah. Um, you have Stardust on the album and you you had dedicated that to Brianna Taylor, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, um, so it came out, yeah. Anyway, it came out on her birthday when I released it back in June. Yeah. And so to tell me about kind of incorporating that into the album and how you placed it there. I think it was the last track on the album, right? Yeah, it's the last track. Yeah. Well, the way I look at the album is in three chapters. The first three songs are Once Upon a Dream. Okay, we're in a dreamlike state of love. Then it comes crashing down. That's track two when it all comes crashing down. And then track three, Alone in the Rain. You're alone in the rain. And the last line of that song is, I'd rather be alone than with you. Super dark. And then we wake up from that and we're in this religion chapter. So tracks four, five, six are finding my way out of the maze to pray and then end of an era. And then the last four tracks are... A, a sort of a new chapter of love and a new chapter of um, self. So they have Pretty Ladies and then Hasta la Madrugada, I've Been Waiting, and Stardust. I view Stardust as a very reverent, I mean, it's a, just one of my favorite songs. It's so beautiful. And I, and I think the way it plays on the album is a lullaby. I think it plays, because it comes after I've Been Waiting and I've Been Waiting is this song about a night of romance and it sort of fizzles away in this dreamlike fashion. And then we have Stardust right after that. That's the last song. So I, I look at it as like the lullaby. We're going to sleep now. We've gone through this 
massive adventure of love and triumph and you know things failing and then learning and and then we have stardust and it's just this like i look at it as a reverent offering of peace and i like like you said when i first released it i did uh, dedicate it publicly um, and ask people to donate if they could um, to brianna taylor because it just so happened like that was weeks before scheduled it just happened to be released on the day of her birthday she would have been 20 you're gonna have to tell me maybe eight 29 i think was it yeah 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 um and it was just a hard time to release music it's like oh yeah it's not what i want to be putting out but thank god it's stardust you know of all things I was like here's this offering of peace hopefully you guys listen to this you know it's not going to give me any money it'll give me a cent not even a fraction of a cent on spotify it's not about that i just i just yeah. hope no matter where people are that my music can uplift you know i think even a, a dark piece of music like i was saying that the end of alone in the rain or finding my way out of the maze in my mind those are still uplifting pieces of music and you can come to those pieces of music from a state of darkness and or a state of uh, you know grief or regret or being alone. I mean, think about how many people are just so alone right now. So I hope that this album can reach a part of them, some sort of universal human part of them, at least universal human truths that we all can relate to everything from love and joy to sorrow and solitude and those feelings whether or not they're put into words or specific you know titles or, or harmonic progressions I mean I think that those truths are felt just in the spirit of the music um, I've had people sending really really profound messages about the album I was shipping out copies uh, early December so that I've had and maybe a hundred people have had the chance to hear it. Uh, it's doing what I hoped it would do, which is really stirring people up. And again, I know you asked about Stardust. That's the idea is that the album can finish with this peaceful offering. It's yeah. after this long journey, you're in a new chapter of love with those tracks seven, eight, nine. Track 10 is like, here we are. It's, it's yeah. going to be, it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Hasta la Margarita. Um, mm -hmm. Is that you? Is that you singing on that? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, so tell me. Um, I mean, uh, you kind of do this we weaving, right, between I mean, English and Spanish. Kind of find. Tell me about that balance uh, for you. Kind yeah. of how that is incorporated into your music. Yeah, I've only started recent. I've only recently started releasing music in Spanish, but I've been a Spanish speaker f in ways for most of my life. Um, it it got really deep with me when, when I left um, for college and I spent half of the summer living in Costa Rica. And then I've uh, spent a lot of time in Spain. I was dating a girl in Spain for seven months and she spoke very little English. And so our relationship was all in Spanish. Um, the, the woman I'm with now is, is Mexican and you know our relationship is in Spanish and I love boleros and I'm always learning new ones. And I spent a lot of time in Mexico um, in the fall. And so, you know, Spanish language and Latin culture is super meaningful to me. It's just a big part of my life. And I started writing tunes occasionally in Spanish because what I was living 
might have been in a Spanish-speaking country or with a Spanish-speaking woman. And then I put out that EP last summer, Sabor a Mi, with just four tracks on it. Two of them are uh, boleros, two of them are covers, and then two of them are originals. And one of them was Hasta la Madrugada. So I released that on that EP, but my intention all along is I recorded it the same day with the same people. It was to have it on When It All Comes Crashing Down. So that's the only track in Spanish on this album. Um, and like I said, I think it's as simple as if I'm living it in Spanish, I'm writing it in Spanish. There are things that I live in English that I'm going to write in English, and if it comes out in Spanish, it comes out in Spanish. And I think these days, I mean, especially with my following, there are enough people that are going to understand it that I don't, I don't mind. It doesn't matter to me that I'm like a white American with a probably primarily English-speaking audience. It, I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to do, it, you know, if I spoke Arabic, there'd be some songs in Arabic. I, I just don't, right? So it's, yeah. it's a, a big part of me. In fact, it'll probably become an even bigger part of me. I think I'm currently working on at least as much music in, in Spanish uh, as I am in English. So, Yeah, so you're, aside from uh, When It All Comes Crashing Down, you have another album that's coming out and then you four collaborative albums, as I understand. Yeah, or even more than that. There's just a lot of um, projects that I've been co-writing and co-producing course adding trumpet and keys and bass and whatever too but just brilliant artists I feel very fortunate to have such great friends really um, mostly singers right now just people that I'm working with who will hopefully be releasing things this year uh, I know two or three of them are for sure going to be coming out this year if, if not next year and then I'm just trying to get myself especially finding out this morning that it's like nah, everything's closed it's like well I'm just going to be recording because if that's all we can do let's just do it we'll do it now while we're not on the road you know it's so hard it takes so long to get recording projects done when you're busy playing and touring because it's just hard to catch a moment to really get in and like listen to the mixes like you're supposed to and all that and so i think now's the time so maybe there might be even more than four or five there might be 10 albums (laughs) again i don't think they're all going to be under my name right they're just collaborative projects endeavors that i have with like i said primarily singers right now and i'm doing everything from you know, co-writing one or two out of a few songs or, or producing all them, recording them, um, playing, like I said, trumpet and keys uh, are my main instruments, even singing with some of these people. So it's very cool. I, I, like I said, I feel very fortunate. Yeah. And you, you teach as well, um, teach others. So, I mean, tell me about that. I know you did a master class, um, but you also teach for, you know, a, a couple of schools. So tell me kind of how you you kind of pay it forward past, you know, what you've learned on to, um, to others. Yeah. I rec- I've always been teaching since I was 14. So it's not always, but a, a long time. It's a long time. I mean, yeah. Like I'm, teacher, so. I'm teaching for 12 years. That That's pretty wild. I had like two students when I was a freshman in high school. I had two students um, that were in sixth grade. <laughs> and it's it's been interesting. I mean, my, my relationship with teaching with my students has always changed as I think it does for most people, I right now feel very me. I feel very much myself with my students and I feel like they're getting uh, my experience out of working with me. I think that's in the end what we all hope to get from our teachers is to see it from their eyes. I mean, you don't need me to tell you what scales to practice or what to transcribe, right? I have eight students at the moment and they're all improvisers. Um, 
pages 15 to 65. Unfortunately, all online right now. And I say unfortunately because it's very hard to connect on the energetic level with somebody over a Skype call. It's been a long time now. I am on the faculty at the New School in New York. Um, and I had two students last year. Right now, zero. <laughs> uh, I'm on a faculty of a private school in LA, private high school. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. I have one guy there. And it's cool to have students applying for college and, and see where they get in and kind of help know that you're really helping them achieve their dreams. But I believe in sharing, period. I believe in sharing knowledge. I believe in sharing experience. I don't know a whole bunch. I'm 26 years old. I, I'm still learning. And I know, I know all my students know that. They know I'm young. They know I'm, but they know I can do what I do and I know what I know and I know what I know based on experience. Having lived it and played it or seen it, done it. And I really enjoy sharing that information, that experience, because that's what I've enjoyed in my teachers. And they really give me their life in the form of music. It's a beautiful thing. And I believe in that for the longevity of the music, the tradition of improvisation or the trumpet. I mean, those things are unfortunately going out of style. Um, <laughs> and that's okay, you know? So are, you know, so <laughs> so is these beautiful styles of architecture. I live here in New York and you see these beautiful buildings from 1910. I don't think they're as beautiful these days. That's okay, things change, but there are so many reasons to keep passing the torch and I'm very happy to be a part of that however yeah yeah where do you land on ska music that's heavily trumpet based I don't and know. everything yeah, yeah I don't know any ska music I, in high school and in my first year of college there were people that would try to get me to join ska bands and I'd always show up <laughs> to these things and they'd be like all right let's play and it was all by ear right and mm -hmm. then I'd be like, oh, yeah, why don't we, like, play this minor chord, and I'll, I'll play the seven, you can play the three, and everybody would be like, what are you even talking about? And I was like, oh, no. And that's cool. It's not like I thought I was yeah. better for knowing a little bit of music terminology. <laughs> it was just hard to relate. It was like, oh, man, we're speaking different languages here. <laughs> yeah. You know, was, I didn't really st stay with that. I don't think that's the case for all ska bands or, or whatever i really don't know anything about ska you'd have to hit me to some records or some bands. right you start with real big fish right and then a little oh, less than jake there you know and <laughs> yeah tell me yeah. the path i don't know <laughs> right uh, i don't know uh but uh yeah as we kind of wind out here so tell me like what is one thing you've learned about yourself over this past crazy year <laughs> like what that you know that where you've had more time to kind of just sit and slow down where you're not touring, you're not going out to different countries, you know, you're, yeah, it's things are slowed down, right? Yeah. I've, I've learned that I'm completely in control of everything in my life. Um, of course, that's sort of a poetic way of putting it because of course I can't control the fact that there is a virus, right? But I am my own master and commander and God, and I manifest the things that I want to manifest. I have gained more and more power over my mind and in turn over my body and in turn over my music and over my relationships and um, the good type of power, the really humble, 
you know, sort of feminine type of power. And I feel like this year has taught us all to slow down, shown us what we really are or what we're really not. And we've had to accept those things. And that is a beautiful process. So I've become more and more present over this last year, feel more and more in love with myself, with life, with the woman I'm with, with my family. I've seen friends kind of fall out and that's okay. They were probably meant to fall out. I've sort of fallen out certain people's lives. That's okay. I think things are falling more into their places. Now, it's been financially very tough. It's been economically for the nation, for the world, very tough. Not being able to play and tour and do the, the quote normal things that we do, that's very hard. But it's hard on the mind and the spirit and we go through that, right? What's hard on the body is, well, for one, the virus, which thank God I haven't gotten yet. But what's hard on the body is usually a result of of our mental and spiritual upkeep, you know? So it's been a, a really important, I'll say, 10 months. And I think we got at least another 10 months, unfortunately. It's okay. I want to go deeper and deeper into myself, keep finding out who I am, keep loving, just learning to love. I mean, this that's what it's all about, whether it's music or you know, just hanging out with a friend or working in insurance, whatever it is, it better be from a place of love. Everything we do should be from a place of love and from a place of self-respect. You know, people treat other people the way they treat themselves. And I want to treat people well, and so I'm working on treating myself well. And that's what it's all about. And like I said, I think that comes out in the music with time. So, yeah, it's all changing. It is. It is every day. <laughs> Things are changing as we're seeing, it's right? Changing. Like it's, yeah, yeah. Antonio, I wanna, yeah, yeah. I want to thank you for taking the time. I mean, I really enjoyed our conversation, and uh, so and your, yeah, and your new album as well. Um, I mean, really, really awesome. Look forward to uh, it coming out. I'm sure you do as well, <laughs> right around the corner. So yeah, um, yeah. Um, are you able to play a song for the pod? <laughs> I don't even have my trumpet in the room. Don't, oh don't, man. <laughs> I'll I will next time. Let's do another one. Okay. 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 When the next record comes out, we'll do another one. I'll make sure I okay. warm up. And uh, <laughs> I flew yesterday. I didn't even play. It's, I probably sound like I'm in middle school again. <laughs> Sorry. Well, even when you were in middle school, you were still worlds beyond. When it, when oh, it at that point, right? So oh, whatever. <laughs> like you said, you were teaching at 14, right? So <laughs> that's true. I was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what was I doing at 14? Uh, making public access TV shows, I guess. But <laughs> hey, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, so. I think whatever you're doing is valid as long as you're loving it. Like I said, doing it from a place of love. That's all that matters. True, true. Yeah. Well, Tony, Tony, you have an awesome day ahead. Hey, Be safe. Awesome day. Cheers. Love to everybody out there. Stay well, stay inside, and, and look inward for the answers. That's where they're at. Will do. And uh, yeah, congrats on the album coming out tomorrow. So Thank you very much. All right, we'll talk soon. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. And that was the interview with Tony Glossy here on Concert Pipeline. And Jens, that takes us to the final segment of the podcast. What is it? It does, it does. It's uh, our segment on music news. That is right, and Jens, 
for those new to the program, which there's always someone new, right? Uh, th this is a segment where we each, uh, sh you know, share a couple of stories about what's going on in the music world. So exactly, yeah, yeah. We always hope to have something, you know, informative or interesting to to bring. Uh, sometimes the music, the news is a little bit thin, um, but it's definitely been interesting, uh, you know, during the past year. Um, and tr in traditional fashion, I'll let you go ahead and start the with the first story, and then I'll follow. Thanks, Jens. Uh, well, so Jens, my first story is about uh, Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus. Oh yes. Yes. Uh, is there a Wrecking Ball Part Two coming out, or what's <laughs> up with her? Well, I can't speak to that, but I can tell you that Elton John is playing piano on Miley Cyrus's new cover of Metallica's "Nothing Else Matters." Oh no way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So she's been covering some some songs lately. I think her most recent album has a couple of covers on it. Um, and uh, Chad Smith is going to be guesting on her uh, forthcoming uh, Metallica covers album. You heard that right. Uh, so she's going to have a covers album that's uh, that's being pulled together. Um, and um, the uh, Nothing Else Matters has been released. Is I think that's the first single, but. Um, she told back in October that uh, she was intending to record an album. Now she's, uh, she's saying that Elton John is among the guests, lending his talent, Chad Smith. She says she's so excited about the collaboration. Uh, Andrew Watt produced it and she's really stoked. That's um, awesome. Good for her. That's exciting. Is, wait a minute, is the whole thing, is, there, is the whole album that's being released Metallica covers? That's what it sounds like. Um, yeah, she says, I love when ingredients don't quite fit or it seems like a concoction uh, that no one would put together and you've got to have someone wild enough like Watt that'll take that risk. Uh, mm -hmm. So um, she had previously performed a cover of Nothing Else Matters during her set at uh, Glastonbury Festival in 2019. Um, so, and if you, I mean, if you ask nicely, I can play a little bit of what that might sound like. Yeah. Go ahead and do that, Steve. That would be wonderful. I think everyone appreciates that. Yeah. Turn that down a bit. There we go. She's got a good voice for this. You know, if you're going to do a cover, if you're Miley Cyrus, and you're going to do a cover album. You're going to pick a band to do, you know, a cover album. Yeah, I, I think she did a good job picking Metallica. I mean, I, I will listen to that. Uh, you know, I don't. I'm not a Miley fan, but yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's interesting takes. enough. Yeah, to listen to because I'm not a Miley fan either. But but when an artist does something, you know interesting like that it, it's worth a listen you know if she did a, an album a cover you know if she did, decided to you know cover prints or something i probably wouldn't listen to that no maybe staying away from that huh yeah yeah but we'll see we'll see when that comes out and uh, uh and how it is but you know it might be, might be worth a listen so all right good stuff my story what do you got miley yeah. Well, when you were talking about your story, I just had this vision of, of Miley coming in and a wrecking ball ripping right through Elton John's piano. That, that was the <laughs> visual I had. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. So I've got a story about Dr. Dre. 
this poor guy uh, is still in the ICU. He uh, suffered a brain aneurysm. Uh, mm. This happened uh, early January. And um, uh, he was, you know, he had the aneurysm, he was rushed to the hospital. Um, and he, thank goodness, was said to be um, stable. Uh, he was said to be lucid. Um, and then he was able to later share an update uh, with his fans through social media. And um, he let everyone know that he was doing great. He's hanging in and there, huh? Yeah, that's nice to hear. I mean, brain aneurysm, I would think usually isn't that synonymous with doing great. <laughs> I so mean, it's... <laughs> he was able to, you know, recover or uh, on the road to recovery anyway. So when, when we think that, you know, we've had a hard 2020 and, you know, 2021 is starting out rough, right? I mean, just, we just need to think about the others that have it so much harder, including, you know, Dr. Dre and just be thankful for what we got, right? Exactly, exactly. If you look at the big picture, um, it really puts, you know, stuff into perspective. Um, yeah. Uh, so they're keeping Dr. Dre in the ICU so they can carry on running, quote, a battery of tests to get to the root of the problem, unquote. And as a precaution, in case he suffers another aneurysm, um, that's why they've got him in there. So uh, it's kind of a mystery. They don't know yet 100% what caused the damn thing. Um, uh, so when the news first broke, that he, he had been ho hospitalized. Mm -hmm. um, we had a bunch of stars show up to support him. Uh, it's always nice. Show up at the hospital? Probably not. No, no, sorry. They showed their support for him. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was showed like, up. stay I guess they show stay up. Away. Yeah, no. <laughs> sorry, yeah. <laughs> they, they showed their support. They showed up to show their support, but showed up not physically at the hospital, but showed up, you know, however they showed their sport, um, yeah. it, it, right. Yeah, so we had Missy Elliott, uh, we had Ice Cube, very cool. Um, all uh, sharing their, or sending their support to their home. Nice. nice. Well, wishing him the best. Hopefully he yeah. pushes through uh, just fine and they're able to get, figure out what's, uh, what's going on there. So. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sending you all the love, Dr. Dre. Have a speedy so, recovery, man. Uh, so Jens, I'll tell you that, uh, you know, um, actually this was, this just happened a couple of days ago. So it's, it's in the past now, but, um, but Adam Lambert, Slipknot and Foo, the Foo Fighters Supergroup um, was set to uh, rock a Bowie celebration. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Gervais, Boy George, uh, were uh, new, newly announced people that were. There was a Bowie live stream concert set to play take place on January eighth, which uh, would have been his seventy fourth birthday. Um, wow! You know, Wait, we missed that. I know, I know. I was actually hoping to watch it, and I just, I guess, I I blew it. But um, he uh, it, it was titled a Bowie celebration just for one day. Uh, and it was organized by his uh, pianist, Mike Garson, and for, uh, members of his uh, touring lineups through the years, joined by a number of special guests, including Trent Reznor, 
Harry Farrell, Joe Elliott of Death Leopard, Ian Astenbury of The Cult, Billy Corgan, Gavin Rosdell of Bush, Peter Frampton, uh, many others. I mean, lots of lots of folks. Um, and uh, so they, let me see who else. Um, Supergroup Ground Control featuring Dave Navarro and Chris Chaney of Jane's Addiction, Corey Taylor from Slipknot and Stone Sour, and Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins. Um, so tons of performances um, and just for one night. So I'm imagining um, it can't be wa uh, watched again uh, unless, you, unless, unless you find it uh, uh, through some other source. But um, yeah, that would've been cool to check out. I meant to do that. I know that sucks. Too bad they don't have it eternally streaming or something until it's next birthday. Yeah. Um, but uh, hopefully there will be another just for one night and uh, we can tune in because, I mean, we, we've talked about it before, of course, but 2016, um, that that Bowie concert was yeah, pretty damn, that pretty was damn amazing. Freaking right? epic. Yeah, that was one of the best shows, hands down, that we've been to. Yeah. yeah. It would have to be like, just for the next night, or it would have to be just for another night i don't know it'd have to be different anyway are you done with your story can i like continue i'm done i'm done yeah you'll be fine <laughs> you can continue geez i know you're excited to to share your last story i so. am i am and this is a great segue i uh, i'm glad how you put this music news together for us uh steve uh-huh uh, i, I got a like story about david boy <laughs> what what how's that possible i don't know but apparently he's in the news um Maybe he's looking down, you know, and he's smiling about all this news that's going on about him. Or maybe he's embarrassed. It's like, oh my God, guys, come on. Uh, <laughs> so apparently Bowie has done some covers. Mm, like you Miley know, maybe Cyrus. Taking a ch chapter out of Miley Cyrus's book, exactly. Done some covers, uh, specifically um did some covers of uh, uh bob dylan and john lennon and these are previously unheard mm, okay covers so maybe bowie recorded these in the closet right okay <laughs> okay maybe <laughs> so anyway so bowie's take on lennon's mother and dylan's trying to get to heaven have been released to mark what would have been his 74th birthday hey, what? I mentioned that yeah spoiler alert okay so um uh so these have been released for the first time and um uh the new take on lennon's track uh which lennon wrote back in 1970, was originally recorded by Bowie in 1998. You know what? He's been holding mm. out on us for that long. Right? He records this shit too back long. in 1998, doesn't release it while he's alive, but you know, he goes ahead and dies and I don't know, tells somebody to, to release it uh, on his 74th birthday. And um, 23 years later, here we are. 23 years later, yeah, and here we are. We've got some, you know, fresh new content from our from a rock and roll legend. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's how, how awesome is that? So it was, uh, so it, it was set to appear on Lennon's tribute collection, but uh, the release ultimately 
failed to emerge. <laughs> maybe they lost it. Oh, uh, lost. It. Yeah, but oh, maybe it was in that warehouse that burned down. Remember we covered that story once. Yeah, Sierra and you want to hear part of trying to get to heaven, don't you? Yeah. Yep, sounds better than the original. <laughs> more, more audible, you could hear you know, the word. More audible, yeah, you can kind of understand the lyrics. Uh, you know, it sounds more like a, you know, it sounds more like a song uh, and less of kind of a painful, deathly moan. Um, but great, yeah, uh, nice, I love it. Uh, let's see. So, uh, so that trying to get to heaven uh, was from Dylan's 1997 Grammy-winning album "Time Out of Mind." It was originally recorded by Bowie, also back in 1998, while working on his live album "Live and Well." All right. Dot com. Well, well, Jens, I have that one more story beautiful. to close us out. One more yes. story here. Uh, uh, is it about Dave Grohl? Uh, it is about Dave Grohl. Uh, let and the second, the second the second Foo Fighter story of the show, I'll just have you have you noticed, right? Because the last one had a little Foo Fighters crossover. It did, yeah. The drummer of the Foo Fighters, uh -huh. I imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so let me guess. Um, uh, Dave Grohl is doing a cover of all of Miley Cyrus's stuff. <laughs> now that would be awesome. Yes, uh, but uh, but no, that's not the story. So there's there's uh, they did an Austin City Limits special just a couple of days ago, actually. Um, cool in which they performed their 1997 classic, My Hero. Uh, and, um, and that's, you know, on Austin City Limits and uh, on PBS. And uh, Dave Grohl says, I'm sure I could speak for every uh, musician when I say that being asked to come play Austin City Limits is practically like getting a medal. As a musician, it's something to aspire to. And if you actually achieve that, then you wear it like a badge. Um, mm -hmm. So um it, it features features music from their appearance in 2008 and 2014 as part of the 25th anniversary celebration um and, which starts the second half of season 46 of that uh series um it's going to also see performances by the war and treaty ray wiley hubbard spoon um some uh tributes and uh, and others and so um, the Foo Fighters kicked off 2021 with the release of their new single, No Son of Mine, mm -hmm. uh, at, mid at midnight on New Year's Eve, um, which followed their first single, Shame Shame, um, off their uh, forthcoming 10th studio album, Medicine at Midnight, which will be released on February 5th. So we will have more uh, Foo Fighters news in, you know, in coming weeks, I'm quite sure. Very nice. Yes. Very nice, man. You know, I can't wait to hear uh, another, uh, some more of Dave Grohl's shenanigans. Like, I can't wait for another mm -hmm. shenanigan story. Like, you know. I know. How like much a, can you get up Astley. to in COVID times, right? So. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah. I can't really actually get out there. So, but, yeah. Thank God for Dave Grohl. Indeed. That's our show, Jens. Um, Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we don't have another interview lined up yet right now. January starting off a little bit slow, but we'll get some more things on the books here in the next couple of weeks. So uh, subscribe to the podcast and then you'll, you'll know when we got new stuff coming out.
make this the right thing to do, right? Say yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you, Jens, for confirming. I appreciate it. I'm confirming. Yeah. I'm just looking at your guitar. Did you mount your guitar on the wall? It's it's uh it's there. That's a mount, right? You screwed a mount yes. in the wall in the in the wall, and yes. it's hanging. Yeah, that looks pretty hanging. fucking awesome, dude. I love it. Pretty great, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, you gonna play us a tune soon? I'm not gonna do any such thing because I do not play the guitar. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you, yes, thank you, yes, for putting that up in the world. Uh, I had to put that out there. Yeah, yeah. That's I'm a great time you to practice. Great time to end the podcast. Thank you. Uh, so for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that's Jen Schiphol, and that's Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time. Later. <laughs>